I say happiness doesn't need to be a goal, it can be a way of being. And that is really the secret, I think, of people that are, we consider that are happier. They are taking the best of the small stuff. Doesn't mean that the bad stuff is not there. <laughs> and there are not moments that things are grim, but you make the best of what you have. I'm your host, Anna Malikian. And before we start, please remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone to access all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. And if you want to get a free copy of my book, Mindset Zone, the first chapter, please go to mindset.zone forward slash book. This episode was originally recorded on Toby Goodman podcast, Moving Conversations. Toby is a podcast strategist and the best-selling author of Narrow Podcasting, the book you must have if you have a podcast or are thinking in starting a podcast or if you want to interview others to grow your business. In the recording you are about to listen, Toby interview me about my own life journey. The road less travelled is the one between your home country, Portugal, neighbouring Spain, to Sunderland in the northeast of England, <laughs> and uh, also where you now live in Arizona. So I just wanted to ask you to give me a sense, if you will, of what, what life was like growing up in Portugal first. Uh, very good. I have to admit that I was having another interview another day for a book about childhood memories, and she was trying to find conflict in my childhood. And I said, no, in, in general, it was a very good childhood. And uh, there were the tribulations of the normal life, but nothing extraordinary. And I'm very lucky in that sense. I grown up in Portugal that uh, is a very peaceful and friendly country in a nice, stable family in the middle class and never anything essential miss in the house. And of course, there are always things that we complain that I wish that had been better, but it was a very regular, not an eventful kind of childhood. But since the beginning, I had kind of the bug of traveling. We traveled within my parents. My mom was from the south of Portugal, my dad from the central part of Portugal. So we will travel between the two places that at the time was already something. And I always enjoyed that to know different places. Initially, as a student, you went full on academia. You're, you're a doctor, uh, you're a PhD. And I know you from an entrepreneurial world, from a business owner world. And, and I was thinking, you know, there's a lot of pop psychology floating around on the internet with coaches who have decided to become coaches and all of that stuff. But you're a certified academic with this PhD in psychology. And I wondered initially then what first motivated you to invest that time and energy in academia, because certainly it can't have been for financial reward having <laughs> come from a, a, you know, having come from a family with 
with parents with PhDs and such. And yet you're now in this this other space. So tell me about that initial motivation to invest your time and energy and what the goal was there. Yeah, I think even that bug or seed of traveling that afterwards I had the opportunity to really go full force on it comes from being a very curious kid. And part of that curiosity was trying to make sense and understanding my surroundings. And I think was that same dynamic of trying to make sense, trying to understand that led me to uh, psychology when I decide what to study in college. Very different than here in the United States, where I live now in Portugal and even in England, we have to declare England is a little bit more flexible by what I remember. But in Portugal, for going to we have to declare the major that we are applying for in university. So I had to say, okay, I want to go to psychology. And at the time we apply at the national level, and I still remember my first three choices were Psychology Coimbra, that is this beautiful university town in the center of Portugal, Psychology Oporto, another, the second biggest city towards the north of Portugal, and Electronic and Telecommunications Aveiro another city close where I was living. So that doesn't have anything to do with psychology. It was other thing that I was passionate about, the, uh, the computers, the, the world of technology, and was also a problems to be solved, a curiosity that I had about those things. And uh, I got my first choice, psychology, Coimbra, where I went to study because I really thought that human beings were these facts, um, incredible, um, challenging puzzle that was very interesting to make sense of it. So that is why I gravitate towards psychology, why understanding myself to that journey of self-discovery and understanding others. And then once I got the past the first year, honestly, the first year of college was like I had my second thoughts, to be honest with you, what mm -hmm. I'm doing here. But then when things I start to see some uh, true line and some things that make sense to me, things start to fall in place. I, I fall in love with it and also allow me to to do an exchange, exchange program in England. That is where I, I went up in England was through an exchange programs between a university, my university in Portugal and the university in Sunderland. Yeah. And Anna, I've been to Sunderland quite a lot. <laughs> um, because Sunderland is a town in the northeast, if people don't know, uh, a city, in, in fact, in the northeast of England, just not too far from Newcastle and Durham. It's it's sort of an ex-industry town. It's not particularly um, doing too well at the moment. The economy there is not great. Um, it's freezing cold. <laughs> And windy, yeah. and windy because it's right on that eastern coast. And yeah, I've 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 got lots of stories about Sunderland that I can tell you uh, that aren't yeah. for this. But <laughs> but Sunderland is uh, you know a culture shock for me as a Southern Brit. So tell me about. But there were there were a couple of sort of Sunderland based questions, which is one, how the hell did that go down as as someone who who's from sunny Portugal, and secondly, on your CV. Uh, on LinkedIn, you can see you did these two years of study, undergraduate study in psychology in Sunderland, uh, and then you went, but then, then then you went back and did your PhD there, right? So there's yeah. obviously Sunderland's not a bad place, but I'm just like, wow, how did that go down? So tell me about Sunderland. Okay, let me tell you a secret. 
I didn't have a clue how Sunderland was. I was thinking that was more like Durham than an industrial town that it was. And even we are speaking, this was 94. Four. Thank you. Uh, right. 94. Right. You did your homework. <laughs> it was in 94 that I went there at third year of college. Because um, in Portugal at the time, the degree was five years. Mm-hmm. And uh, was a shock. Even small things like... That, that was generally in England was not specific of Sunderland. The the students restaurant or place to eat close at five or five thirty. That for a south uh, somebody of south of Europe is like what? Yeah, five mm. five thirty. You cannot eat after that. What do you do after that? So uh, so there was that cultural shock. The place they had very good installations for the students. The the students halls were really good. Uh, so and the university they had invest a lot of money in the in the university per se so that part and the, the community the yes there was the cultural shock they were in economical crisis already then and the, but the community uh, the the foreigner students that were there mainly we really stick together and was an amazing experience to meet so many people from across europe from germany Ireland, Spain, uh, Italy. So we had this uh, international community of the Erasmus students, people that were going in these grants to do six months to one year uh, in another country that made the experience amazing in spite of the city not being the prettiest city in England and the cold and the wind uh, and all those things. So I have great memories from Sunderland. Yeah, yeah. And and actually, you know, you can get to Durham, which is very beautiful, uh, another red brick university town uh, where actually my parents met in Durham. And uh, Newcastle is right there and actually not too far from Scotland to get to Edinburgh. So presumably you used that as a base as a keen traveller to get up to Scotland too, right? Yes. And uh, the place in itself, I have to say that then uh, I, because I stayed there two years, one year and a half. And I met some amazing local people too. As they say, the local in the north of England can be very warm. And um, I, as a part-time job at the time to make extra money, I was working in an Italian restaurant, waitering tables, because it was good to have accent for that job description. Uh, Give us the international flavor. Um, And I met some uh, local people and I had the opportunity. So I did the one year as an exchange student and then uh, I decide to stay there to finish the degree there one more year and I only had one semester and because I was dating this person that he got a job in the Lake District I went to visit him in the Lake District and then I got also a job there in a bed and breakfast place and I spent six months working in the Lake District in England and that is paradise the place absolutely gorgeous and beautiful yeah and uh, again, if you if you're not familiar, it's a sort of primo wedding destination for uh, yeah. just the lakes up there. is is lovely, yeah. Yeah, because the the, the landscape is absolutely uh, amazing and very well preserved. Because there are very few places where they can build new things, so they have to restore the old buildings. And you really and you see the chips, the little cottonwood the rabbits everywhere. It's very idyllic, very dreamlike. Yeah, it's beautiful. Now let's talk about your move away from 
academia. You know, you're this mm-hmm. entrepreneurial coach, speaker, podcaster, consultant, and you left the academic life, which is quite a institution in itself, being an academic, the badge of being an academic. So that's a big change. And somehow within that, and I don't know how this unfolded, you've ended up in Arizona in the US. <laughs> So so tell me about why you decided to make that shift, how that came about. I, I didn't knew that I had the entrepreneur gene or even a strike there. But uh, if I look back, like vision is always uh, 2020 when we look back, I always had the initiative of trying things and trying to solve problems and, and trying to do projects. That was always part of how I dealt in academia with doing my bachelor's and then my master's that I did in Spain and my PhD back in England, but I was doing the clinical work, most of it in Spain, in Salamanca. And I got the the opportunity of a great job offer in Portugal to teach in a private university in the north of Portugal. So everything was academia, like you're saying. Everything I was, did my master's, I did my, was doing my PhD, I was teaching. I had my private practice as a psychotherapist, but my main thing was academia. I was traveling through academia, presenting uh, in conferences and all those things. And at the same time, I was doing initiatives in the institution that was a relatively new institution in Naya, north of Oporto. I was doing like bringing uh, the teachers from around the world there, doing uh, mini trainings, uh, taking the Milton Erickson Institute. That was why I came to the United States for for the first time to study in the uh, foundation that uh, preserved the work of a famous uh, psy- uh, psychiatrist, psychologist called Milton Erickson, that yeah. is quite, quite well known in the neurolinguistic programming world too, because they study his work. So I always said that thing, okay, there is a, a challenge, let's find a way of solving it. And part of that was being a, what nowadays we call an entrepreneur to have that uh, entrepreneur mentality within an institution and was through my traveling came to the united states to do that training then i was coming here and including to phoenix because the foundation is of the milton erickson foundation the headquarters are here in phoenix i came to present a paper in a conference and the I met in the hotel that I was staying, the person that a couple of years later became my husband. That is why I moved here to the United States. I sort of felt that was coming, but like, when did it happen? Awesome. Yes. Really yeah. Cool. So, so in England was desire of learning English and have a, an international experience. That was the big motivation to go to England. And I got that. Then when I was doing, thinking about doing a master program, uh, Sunderland was one of the programs that I, I consider Ireland, north of Ireland, and uh, the, uh, being closer to family, another country, beautiful university town, uh, and I really like the program, so I went to Spain, then back to Portugal because it was an incredible job offer that I could not refuse, that kept my ties with England and with Salamanca. And then uh, I was traveling to here to the United States and other places. I travel a lot in Europe presenting. And then coming here to the United States in that trip, this was 98, the, the first time that I came to the United States and the conference where I met in 
my future husband was in 2001. So after 9-11, uh, in 2001, I came here in December. And, and uh, then was really, uh, I, we start, uh, we met, we start to communicate via email, like almost the old kind of letters back and forth, but mm -hmm. using emails, instant chat, because at the time there was no Skypes or FaceTimes. Uh, then by the phone, and then you went to visit me there. I came again to the United States, presenting at another conference, and I came to visit him here in the United States and meet the family. Just to make a long story short, we decided to get married, and his business is real estate. My business was psychology. So I thought that, okay, we knew that moving the buildings were not possible, so it will make more sense for me to move here. And I honestly, I thought that restarting here in the United States as a psychologist will have been easier. But after I move, after you got, I got married and I start to see what I had to do to get the license as a psychologist here in the United States as a clinical psychologist, uh, because I'm part of the American Psychological Association. They recognize my PhD by England. But to be, have a license as a clinical psychologist, the equivalent of what I had in Portugal, I almost in practical terms, I had to redo my PhD. I had to do a postdoc wow. and I love, I'm a lifelong learner. I absolutely love studying, but was like, come on, I just ended the marathon. I just ended my PhD. Mm -hmm. I managed to survive barely. So I need a little bit of a break and breathing room. I cannot, uh, what else can I do? Was one of those situations, the proverbial door closing your nose that gets you a little bit uh, dizzy. And um, I had to, okay, I have this big challenge. What can I do? And in my own journey to try to make sense again of my life, personally, it's going very well. I was... Uh, enjoying being married. We are thinking about starting a family, but professionally all the years that I had put all the connections, all the, because I really had in a short time, had done incredible connections and they had a good position in Portugal. So was like a big setback. And I found life coaching as a way that allow me to make sense of what was going on with me and what I really was wanting to do, what was important and so forth. And then suddenly that was like a light bulb coming up saying, oh, this, this thing of life coaching is really personal development. Mm -hmm. All I have also a lot of training and a lot of experience in personal development. I always loved that since I was a teen and suddenly, oh, maybe I can become a life coach. So it was a natural evolution of things for me. So I did the training. I love it. It was amazing. I set up my first website and ah, and then where are the clients? <laughs> yeah. Where are the, yeah. I was not, I'll just say in Portugal, I, uh, it's a smaller country. I was teaching in a private university. I had that recognition, that credibility. Pe people were coming and I had a very specific niche. So people are coming to me, where do you see, I have, I know somebody that I think you can help. So they were coming to me. My marketing efforts was making a business card that had the address of my office. 
that I had to find a place where I could see people. So it was like, uh, and here in the United States, I was that needle in the haystack. Mm. There are so many life coach and many even with the PhDs in psychology. So what was my differentiator? How could I stand above the noise that was going on? In this, we are speaking about 2009, 2010, mm. but I was seeing other people having business online. So I start to study them. I start to gain a challenge. How can we overcome this challenge? And in that process of trying to find a way around, I didn't like marketing and sales. I hate marketing and sales. I always consider that my colleagues in the industrial psychology, now they will laugh and organizational psychology were selling psychology away uh, to the company. So uh, I, I was a little bit arrogant at the, uh, for that. The clinical psychologist was the noble way of serving psychology. Yeah. And, it, and, uh, and I should, I should interrupt, like, I know where you're going with this, but at this point it's worth <laughs> saying you're someone who's taught me sales and marketing <laughs> yeah 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 because it was in my own journey uh, that i knew that i had to have that medicine I, I knew i had to learn how to promote myself out there and uh, if i was wanting to have a home base online based business running from my home office i had to learn some skills and uh, i i literally i kid but it's totally true that i was saved by the book yourself solid system mm -hmm. that is this system developed by Michael Port, that is a book. There is a training. Um, uh, there is a training system for it for being certified as coaches to have other small business owners to get book solid. And I start to do that system to help me to get clients. And things start to happen. Things was the big mindset shift there about understanding that marketing is really a way of communicating. That for me was the 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 thing that make everything click. And I love you know the thing that really attracted me to Book Yourself Solid as well was that that it does openly address on the on the front cover even if you hate marketing and selling yes. as, as the last thing so it does attract people like you uh like you were uh, and and like me as well right because there is definitely a feeling people around academia find marketing and selling sort of abhorrent and that's and that's programmed within us right yeah and i i went to psychology i didn't uh, apply to a marketing degree or a sales degree uh, and absolutely we have this image of the salespeople as the sales car salesman that uh, uh, so so and i think one of the genius of michael port is that he you really take that over okay i understand that this is where you are starting point let me show you this other side of it Mm. Let me show you a side that is you marketing is all about creating awareness that you exist. It's all about spreading your message that you can help people to really create the transformation. Uh, and that made a lot of sense to me. I, okay, I can. It's communication. I like that. This connection yeah. uh, is having a conversation. So we're like, oh, I can do that. Yeah. And then it's when I start really to fall in love. I, I still remember because Michael Port has this thing that the book yourself solid book is a, uh, a love story disguised as a business book. Yeah. And honestly, the first time that I heard him say that, I say, B.S. Don't kid me. 
And after knowing the system, seeing the results and things like that, I have to say, yes, it's true because we we start, most of us start our businesses because we want to make a difference out there. We really is our way of living our mission and we are in love with that mission. Mm. And our business is just an avenue to make that happen. So mm. yes, our business is our love story, our way of making an impact out there. And then really is when things start to pick up and to make a long story short, I fall in love with the system. I got to know the system inside out. And then they open a certification program. I became a certified book yourself solid coach, then an elite book yourself solid coach. Mm. And then the director of education for the book yourself solid. The time was the school training school. And I'm still in that position as the director of education, helping other coaches to really know the system inside out. Mm. And no better person, for sure. You were a great help when I was learning that system and re-familiarizing myself, having initially you know, spent £50 on the book, which was an insane amount of money to spend on a book. But, you know, it's certainly... Um, and it's money back many times. That sort of takes us to 2012 and we've got, you know, a gap of various things, learning how to podcast and all of that stuff. And then I know through looking at your website and looking at um, recent talks, fairly recent talks that you've done, that your life completely changed on the 4th of January 2016. So tell me about that. So I was, like I said before, I start my online business year, let's say 2000 and end of 2009, beginning 2012. 10 struggle a lot in the first couple of years until the book yourself solid so everybody out there there is a struggle in the beginning is totally possible to start to get those clients and create systems and for me the key was the book yourself solid so things are was going well 2012 13 to the point that in 2014 i start my own podcast mindset zone and business wise and it went very well and but i was not doing money from it and there was another training in my business uh, that was the helping people with the linkedin how to network in effective way on linkedin that was really taking uh, lifting off and getting traction so i start to focus on that in 2015 and then uh, so business-wise growing the six figures like uh, starting to grow from there that is always sweet and then, like you're saying, January 4, 2020, uh, 2016, uh, I got the official diagnose that uh, I had breast cancer. Mm. And that, like anything I'd say, I was exercising, eating organic, having a healthy life, not sleeping enough and stress. There was a lot of it. That was, was something that I, for me, I was a very healthy person and that was not supposed to happen. But it happens like this cancer doesn't uh, yes this i still remember one of the doctors that i had to go to the the breast surgeon uh, at the end of one of the appointments i was asking if i can keep running and doing other activities and they turned to me oh you are a very healthy person of course you can do that and for me it was like how can you say that i'm healthy if you just diagnose me with the inflammatory breast cancer that is a quite it's like five percent of all breast cancers is a very unusual type and unfortunately a very aggressive one. So it's that contradiction that cancer can happen to somebody that uh, apparently, and they have a healthy lifestyle and all of that. As I had my daughter at the time was seven years old, 
oh, almost doing seven. This was in January. She did seven in February. So was was like uh, this is uh, nowadays. Thank God to the advances of medical treatments. But this is a uh, one of the types of breast cancers that, uh, if we are speaking thirty years ago, was like the, having the conversation. Okay, put your affairs in order, kind of thing. Now there are much more treatment avenues and the things, but it's still like that. If you look. That. I don't advise people with a cancer diagnosed to, to look to statistics because the life expectancy of somebody with this type of cancer in five years after diagnosis is 40%. So that is like, a ch- like ah, what is going on here? Again, very lucky. I had insurance. There was a great medical team. We had a plan that makes you put everything in consideration and if this uh, and thinking what you the, mainly with a young kid what uh, what is the thing that you want to live uh, and what is so really rocks your world uh, in an incredible way and at the same time my business at the time uh, i was working with other two colleagues at the time uh, and in another team so i had my online just me and i had a couple of projects with other people that allow me to anchor down, still keep working. I kept working all along and was 2016 uh, in terms of the business revenue was a great year for me because I could be in the background uh, uh, operating systems and making sure that everything was uh, running okay in terms of funnels and sales cycles. And we are doing loads of webinars and I will pull myself together for the webinar. And uh, I was at that time we did in that year about for six months every week we had a webinar and uh, allow me to was my keeping the business going for me was keeping something normal mm-hmm. going. I had to reduce a lot of the client facing time and all of that, but having the business going kept me, okay, something of the craziness that is all the doctor appointments, all the treatments that we have to go through and all the losing the air with the chemotherapy and uh, it's a grueling kind of journey. Yeah. Having that normal that I can, even when I lost my hair, I will put my wig, makeup on, and showtime uh, yeah. gave me a sense of normality that I can do this. Yeah. That was very important for me. I recently listened to, uh, there's a British comedian called Adam Buxton, and he interviews people on his very big show. He interviewed another comedian called Tim Key uh, recently, and there was a part of their conversation where Tim uh, talks about getting cancer, and he got cancer in covid and you just reminded me of something that you said, which was that actually because it was locked down and, and no one was allowed to do everything, he really looked forward to the regular being able to go and go somewhere. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it wasn't work because that was illegal for him as a comic. But he really valued the routine of doing something as simple as going to the hospital. And that was like a normal thing you could do around the complete unpredictable COVID time so that brought that to mind and um, that reminds me speaking about comedian uh, i a friend sent me a book when she knew that i had cancer she sent me this book of tig notaro 
and the name of the book I'm Just a Person and it's about her own journey with uh, breast cancer and the other very strange disease that she had at the same time uh, and the death of her mom uh, and it's a really uh, but she has um, is how can because we need humor I believe that we need humor but is knowing somebody that went through a similar journey in some points and still can uh, uh, bring a lighter kind of feeling to it or a comic relief is the how uh, what is that expression in english the gallo humor yeah. we are uh, there is something on it and that book really was uh, provide me loads of help to go through the the, the roller coaster of emotions that happen right and clearly it's informed what your doing now and the position you've taken uh, around your speaking the happiness fallacy and and this kind of stuff now and you, and you talk about specifically i wonder if you'd be open to talking about these mindset changes and and a lovely thing that that i heard you articulate which was the when then habit cycle yes tell yes. me about that so because honestly because in, in the going back to the cancer story the first time because i have uh, uh, another second cancer two years yeah. late in 2018 and the first time in 2016 i really my mindset and um, and the way that i dealt with it is that and uh, hold your breath you can do this you are strong enough to do this and really soldier to do the things and then you will be this will be in the past and you like if this didn't happen so that was my first kind of the first go around was my attitude just push it through and i did it uh, and i came in the other side and finally i was i still remember we went to portugal to visit my family there a great summer vacation there i was enjoying things like chocolate and wine in the balcony with these beautiful uh, ocean views of the south of portugal enjoying life again allowing myself to relax and then came back to the United States. I had to do the annual mammography and I went there and there was some insurance problems. We had to cancel, do it again, scheduling again. And then finally I go and I thought that it's just a routine thing. Already had bad luck of one cancer in one breast. So the other one will be okay. And of course was not. And oh, it's like that second time is even was not um, so aggressive cancer, but was like, oh gosh, that really uh, psychologically took me to a big spin and it made me reevaluate how I could not just do the same. I had to do something different. And I realized that like even during the first go around with cancer, what I have done was, okay, there is hope in the future. That is great. We have to have hope, but is out there is that pursuing of happiness thing mm. is out there. Happiness is there somewhere in the future. We just have to hold our breath, do whatever needs to be done, endure the pain, and one day, maybe, it's always there. But then I realized that in the day-to-day, -day, I was also falling into what I call the wind-and cycle. When I have more time, then I will do this. When I finish this treatment, then I can. If uh, this go this way, then that. We always get these conditions to be to enjoy being enjoying things and this we see this a lot in very highly accomplished people that seems to have it all together and everything seems rosy they have the nice house the nice car 
uh, a family, but they are always searching for something and never happy, never satisfied. And then you look to these other people that uh, have much more modest means or even crazy life circumstances, and they are enjoying the small stuff. And what is the difference? It's, a lot of the difference has to do with this attitude of if we put these conditions, this list of when dance to to be happy, we will never we never arrive to the destination. Mm-hmm. And the, the, in the second time with cancer was that realization. I don't know if there is <laughs> that tomorrow to be happy. So let's make the best of what I have at the moment, even in the midst of cancer and i really i still remember from the first to the second treatment in the chemo it was in the same place in the second time around i was much more demanding about the chair where i will sit because they have beautiful is a great cancer center downtown phoenix a relatively new place and they have these big windows facing the arizona desert and the mountains and the there is the nurse desk that is next to the window and then there is a first row of share, uh, one chair in each side of their station and they usually prefer not to have the patients there because it's very close to them and then they want and they prefer to put us in the other ones but i said no no i want that chair the one with the best view and the guy has to spend there four hours or sometimes more I, I i want to be the best experience i can get even i uh, when um, the food tastes like cardboard honestly after a while when you are in some of the chemo treatments but i still set the table nicely when I had dinner with my family. We even start um, this uh, ritual that we still do it today of sharing. Instead of a prey, we do sharing what we are grateful for during the day. So, and, and that was really me not waiting to be happy, but choosing to make the best of what I had at the moment and enjoy the small, small stuff as much as I could. I say happiness doesn't need to be a goal. It can be a way of being. And that is really the secret, I think, of people that are, we consider that are happier. They are taking the best of the small stuff. Doesn't mean that the bad stuff is not there. (laughs) And there are not moments that things are grim, but you make the best of what you have. And I knew, I really, uh, and that is my background in psychology, I knew that there is this thing called the habituation effect. We get used to things and things lose their their newest and we go back to old habits. So I knew that we can go very easily back to the old habits, like the wind and cycles that we were speaking about. And I still today, sometimes I feel, oh, here I am going again in this wind and cycle. But now I have better tools and through my speaking and a lot of my work now today is helping people to use what we know of positive psychology and other areas of psychology to help us to make the best of wherever we are facing. Yeah, it's a sort of almost pragmatic happiness versus and the grateful practice, which is brilliant. I noticed that you in, in one of your talks also made me laugh talked about the toxic positivity yes, yes. <laughs> so, and, and and that is a point that i really uh, i really want to um, underline here yeah. because there is this uh, sim- 
oversimplification uh, now positive psychology as a movement in psychology start in the 2000s there was research already been done before but the big thing was with martin seligman when he became president of the american psychological association that he really brought positive psychology to the forefront and, uh, and nowadays it's being popularized a lot in like everything uh, is oversimplified and uh, when for anybody out there listening that you want to make the best of art cir circumstances you cannot force happiness yes i believe that happiness is a lot a choice mm -hmm. and we can learn to be happier but at the same time we cannot force it if you are living very hard life circumstances if you try to force it is what you get into what we call the toxic positivity there is even a, a great book with that same title yeah. that is that force is trying to oh just smile just be happy and everything will be okay no things are a little bit more complex more nuanced doesn't mean that you cannot do something about the image that i love to use is that for people think about happiness as a plant you have a plant that you love a flower whatever it is that you like you can't make that plant grow or even flourish by pulling the leaves by forcing okay i have this little green plant here in the vase i want it to grow let me pull the leaves what is going to happen you're going to kill the plant mm. so people that are trying to force happiness that the, the toxic positivity they are making themselves even more miserable yeah. and then oh i'm not good at this oh so no recipe to um, not a good a good thing for themselves and for the ones around them yeah. so are we don't have any control or power in helping this plant to flourish if we have a plant what do we do we make sure that there is a good light the right humidity in the soil the right nutrients mm. and that allows the plant to grow and to flourish so we can do the same in relation to our life into happiness happiness is this thing that we have control over the circumstances around mm. by being more curious more grateful more appreciative learning new things being in awe all these things that we can create and we have more control over that allow us to feel that positive emotions yeah, we do have the control of putting the plant by the window or putting ourselves by the window, right? So yep. that, okay. Or go for a walk. That yeah. can do wonders. Yeah. And it's really, I love filling in the gaps. You know, I've known you for a while and it's, I really appreciate filling in these gaps to understand, you know, what makes you, you, you know, sort of force on, on these calls that I've been on with you and, and, um, just that pattern as well. I don't know if it occurred to you listening chronologically that you've been through, not in a serious way, the trauma of being a PhD student. I've been around enough of those people to say that it was really hard, really hard to do it. And you finally get it. And then, the, and then, and then the door slams, you know, in your nose, like you said, and, and you have to find a new way. And then basically the same mirrored experience happens again with the cancer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so you knew you had to change tack maybe uh, subconsciously at that point. I don't know. But look, thank you. And, you know, you're, you're a great client. We're really happy to be producing the mindset zone. Yes. Uh, it's awesome. And we'll put all the links in and all of that. So just, you know, tell me 
just to wrap up, you know, what's next and who you're helping right now and how they can, how they can connect because you're doing some great work. Yeah, I always, my big thing, my big why is expanding possibilities. That is why I start the Mindset Zone podcast. It's all about expanding mm. your mindset uh, in a way that can be helpful for you, for the ones around you, for the world is my thing with the podcast and with my mission and uh, working with coaches and consultants, speakers and trainers in the business development. Uh, it's all about that to help them uh, as change makers, different makers that they are, to make a bigger impact and to help more people out there. And now I'm even focused more on that. I know that all of us have a huge human potential that wants to be expressed, mm. wants to be unlocked. And through my keynote, the happiness fallacy, where I uncover blind spots that are preventing us from tapping into this potential, it's all about that, is to help people to see the nuances and learn ways of making things really change in their lives. Expanding possibilities, the mindset zone. Thank you for listening. And remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. And if you want to get a free copy of the first chapter of my book, Mindset Zone, please go to mindset.zone forward slash book. As always, I'm so grateful you are here. Expand what's possible for you, for the ones around you, for the world.